Today on the MMM Podcast, Bob Whiting, Bob Whiting, Director, IQBA Digital Media Solutions. Here's your host, Jack O'Brien. Hi, my name is Jack O'Brien, Digital Editor at MMM. Welcome to the MMM Podcast. Today we sit down with Bob Whiting. Our conversation centers around the opportunities on social media and connected TV for pharma marketers the importance of data consent and data consistency. And our conversation begins with a look at what the picture is for HCP identity data and digital outreach. I asked Bob if he's observing any changes or interesting trends that interact with his clients and partners. HCP identity really is at the forefront of a lot of the conversation right now, primarily with pharmaceutical companies, but also extended to the greater healthcare audience. And when I define those two, it's really, you know, pharmaceutical, but then we look into hospitals and health systems, insurance companies, et cetera, in the healthcare side. What pharmaceutical companies uh, and healthcare, what they're asking us for and and kind of our responsibility in this world is for data accuracy and consistency. If you think of digital channels primarily, but certainly email and others, if you think of these channels, there's so many people touching data and bringing data to campaigns and to uh, plans that again, we just have this tremendous responsibility, all of us in this ecosystem to make sure that the data is accurate, that the data is consistent, right? That we're using data all the way from, you know, the planning stage all the way through to the data that's handed off to agencies, the data that's handed from agencies to partners like IQVIA, right? Just this entire ecosystem. So data consistency is certainly at the forefront as well as, you know, consent and privacy. So when, when we think of identity, those two layers need to be added on as well, right? And they go hand in hand, right? You need full consent to deliver an ad, specifically in the healthcare professional space, you know, opt-in consent to deliver an advertisement. Um, so consistency, and you need that consent in order to meet and exceed all the privacy rules and regulations. So those are the kind of the key pillars that are going on right now. Certainly cookie list is in there as well, but we might get that. We might get to that a little bit later as well, Jack. Yeah, I think that's something that will come up later in the conversation. Definitely wanted to kind of pivot a little bit towards what maybe some of those considerations are for pharma and healthcare organizations, maybe what some of the obstacles or stumbling blocks are. I know that everyone's kind of going at this at a different pace. There's, you know, some people further ahead than others. So just if you could highlight any of those for the audience, I think that'd be helpful. Yeah, let me take your words and answer the question. I'm just going to spin it around a little bit. Obstacles and stumbling blocks. I think right now it's there are opportunities, right? It's there is just so many opportunities. There's so many dimensions to our world right now. And and again, being a person that lives and breathes in the digital pharma world, it's just all these opportunities and considerations. And some of them that we think about every single day are. You know, opportunities with the pharmaceutical brands and companies, right? We see many these days taking digital services in-house and data in-house and business and analytics in-house, right? So some of the roles and responsibilities are changing in this world where typically certain things might be handled by agencies only or data companies like ourselves at IQVIA. Some of those are being brought in-house. We have opportunities in across the multiple channels, right? Social, connected TV, programmatic, uh, certainly email, and then, then in person. And then 
the opportunities around all sorts of different types of measurement and analytics that are required just to ensure that the work that everybody's doing is, is successful. So I, so back to your question, right? These can certainly be viewed as, as some op- obstacles there. Their considerations is what they are. There's opportunities presenting themselves and there's just so many considerations right now. It can, it can seem overwhelming. I know some days we're, you know, I look at my yellow notepad and I'm like, my goodness, there's so much consideration here. But I, again, I look at it more like there's just tremendous opportunity and how do we navigate is the takeaway there. I kind of wanted to take a step back for a second. If you could just provide us with a little bit of explanation about data consent and maybe what goes into that strategy for anyone in the audience that's not as familiar, you know, what goes into that and, you know, are there any tips or strategies that you found to be effective as it relates to that topic? That's a great question, Jack, uh, around consent. And it's just something we are encouraging everybody in this business to ask more questions about, Right. We at IQVIA, we have a tremendous relationship with our healthcare professional audiences. Again, just defining this is on the HCP side of the business, right? We have a mm-hmm. tremendous relationship with the with our healthcare professionals. And it's a responsibility that we have to deliver them relevant information and communications that help their business. In exchange for that, we have their consent, right? We have their consent to deliver them information, whether that's an email whether that's a, a digital ad, a programmatic ad, or an ad on a social platform, right? We have that great value exchange with our pharmaceutical companies and that value exchange with our healthcare providers. And it's a responsibility that we deliver back to, again, to our agencies and our, our pharma advertisers, right? That when they're running advertising using our data, it is fully consented. These healthcare professionals have opted in again, for engaging um, and receiving these targeted ads. It's just something that, again, is not being asked about enough. And I think there's a lot of people taking, um, quote unquote, consent for granted. How do you know that so-and-so is providing consent? Well, they said so. All right. You know what? They said so isn't good enough in our space. There's too much at risk. At IQVIA, we bring, you know, we do bring this fully consented healthcare professional audience, right? We employ a chief privacy officer who lives and breathes everything around consent and monitors all of the privacy acts that are going on in the United States and making sure that we are meeting and exceeding uh, not only the privacy uh, at the state levels, but also privacy policies at pharma and our partners. So it's just something that we bring to market. It's a conversation that we are encouraging everybody to have. That's at the pharma company, it's at the agencies, it's with ad tech and others. Just anybody that's touching this industry, talk about that consent framework, right? Where is it coming from? Is it single sourced? And and can you back it up, right? At the end of the day, can you show me and prove to me um, why your audience is and how your audience is fully consented? So just so you know who you're dealing with. And if I can pull on a thread there that I think is uh, tangential to the conversation about the uh, consent framework, I'm really curious about data consistency. And it's it's something I think you've alluded to is just the fact that like you need to not only be able to pull data, but pull meaningful, relevant and consistent data. Can you kind of give me a little lay of the land there and, and what that means for those in our audience? Yeah, Jack, I, I, I always, when I hear that, I'm going to pull at the thread. I'm like, oh, I hope I can, I hope I can answer this next, I, you know, we're doing a deep dive here. I, I hope I can answer. No, no answer bad threats on this podcast. I promise you that. No, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, what does it mean? What is, what does consistency mean? Right. It's, 
Again, in the healthcare professional space, then this goes a little bit in the consumer side too. And in the pharma world, I really look at this as maybe, you know, seven to eight steps where you need that data consistency, right? First, you're using data, right? At the pharmaceutical company within your business, you know, your BI, your analytics teams, you're planning not only for your rep engagement, right? Your in-person engagement, but also for your multiple channels, digital being one of them, right? So during your planning stage, you're using a certain set of data, the extension of that in the healthcare professional space is, is creating a target audience that you want to go after, right? And when we say go after, that's the that's either you're going out to reach and engage with this target audience and or your uh, agency is on your behalf, right? So you need, again, that same data consistency from planning to audience creation. Typically, that audience or that, that target is then shared with an agency, right? And that agency, if the agency is then going to be analyzing uh, information or enhancing that data or doing something with that data, they need to be using that same, you know, very consistent data set. From there, you know, and this again, uh, without too much self-promotion, one of the roles that we fill uh, in this space is really around advanced audiences. So in addition to the audiences that, that pharma has determined they want to go after, are there other audiences that we might help create that enhance or build on top of that based on certain behavior, whether that's information that is being researched or read on the, on the internet, it's clinical behavior based on diagnosing and, and prescription behavior, so forth. So again, building complementary audiences on top of that, and you need to be using that same data, right? Because we want to make sure that if you set a specific audience, we are either deduping against that audience, but again, data consistency, then the data is getting shared again, right? It's getting shared in many cases, if it's digital or social, if it's, if it's email, it's getting shared with, with email providers, you know, like our, our email team here, if it's digital or social, perhaps it's being shared either directly with an endemic property or a, a DSP or a, maybe a social platform like Facebook or LinkedIn or an identity provider, right? So identity providers and onboarders. So here you have, you know, yet another layer of data sharing. And if that anywhere along the way, if, if there's interaction between multiple data sets, you know, you have this opportunity for inaccurate data matching or data leakage, right? Or you're just putting your brand at risk where you might've started off targeting a certain specific healthcare professional, but because the data got mixed along the way, now you're not actually campaigning or reaching that healthcare professional. Then we want to take that all the way through to reporting, right? We want, if we're feeding information back to farmer about the engagement on that healthcare professional, PLD reporting, we refer to it as, then it has to be that same data. And then all the way back, and, and the most important part is measurement. How did my campaign do, right? If you're not using that same data to measure, using the same clinical data, the same claims data, the same target data, et cetera, you're going to get, you know, this term of data leakage, Jack, or data inaccuracy, et cetera. So thanks for pulling at the thread. Hopefully you can sense it's such a, a hot topic for us. No, I know I, I tapped into a deep vein there, and I think I have another one that I'm going to go back to in terms of something you just brought up, <laughs> which is you you talked about social media, and obviously I'm, I'm a child of the social media era. I'm really kind of curious, given that we live in this very fragmented media landscape, how pharma marketers should be approaching things like social media. I know TikTok has been on the rise in the past couple of years. Snapchat still has its, its staying power among other social media apps. And then as a follow-up to that as well, we've seen you know Netflix and Disney Plus considering the option of introducing ads, which have never been on their platform, but that would be in line with what you've seen on 
uh, say Hulu or I, I believe Amazon Prime. So just kind of curious about those two uh, aspects and how pharma marketers should be looking at approaching those. And Jack, it just, you know what, it just goes back to that. What keeps us all excited about this industry every single day? It's all these, it's all these considerations. It's all that, it's all that everything that, you know, MM&M is writing about, right? Trying to help keep our agencies and pharma marketers informed social and not just, you know, TV or connected TV, but all these changes around AVOD and SVOD and and who's doing what in the video landscape. It's it's so exciting. On the social front, certainly the adoption of reaching healthcare professionals on social platforms, and I'll say deterministically reaching uh, them, knowing that if we're, again, back to that data consistency, knowing that if I've identified, you know, a certain NPI number, Dr. Jane Smith, a cardiologist, right? If we know that we want to make sure we reach her on social platforms, that you have the right data and the right consistent data. This kind of ties back to a theme. It, it's certainly a theme this year. It was a more defined theme, maybe last year or the year before, which was this notion that healthcare professionals are consumers too, right? And a physician during the day is a physician. In the evening, the, that same physician is a mother, a father, a grandmother, grandfather, friend, member of groups, you know, uh, that's lifestyle enthusiasts, etc. So it's a channel we know that, that, and all of our research show this as well as the industry shows this, right? Healthcare professionals use Facebook and social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and to your good point, uh, TikTok on the rise, right? We know that they're there. And I think the, the great thing, and you and I were chatting about this yesterday during our pre-call, Jack, was well, is it just for, is social then just for sort of, you know, large pharma, right? Or is it just for the marketers with deep pockets? I think that's one of the great value proposition of Facebook is it's low point of entry. We won't tell my salespeople this, but you can use your own first party data. It's got a very low point of entry. You don't need an advanced degree in, in being a programmatic trader, right? It's got a very intuitive UI. And so these companies have made it very easy to kind of, operate and power social media campaigns. Certainly the role that we at IQ and others in this space play again is helping is that data consistency and consent. You know, again, if you know that you want to reach a certain audience, we can help you do that on multiple channels. That includes social platforms. And you can do so knowing that the audience you're reaching has fully consented to being served that ad. That other dynamic, I, I was on a call earlier today where we were talking about, again, that dynamic of AVOD and SVOD, right? Uh, and I tied that back 25 years to kind of the internet, right? And during the introduction of the internet, so many publishers were wondering what is that balance of subscription revenue versus advertising revenue, right? And you had your some companies like the Wall Street Journal saying, hey, we're going to do both, right? We're going to charge a subscription, but we're also going to do ad supported. Here we are again, right? The Disney's uh, you mentioned, um, who else? Paramount, uh, who, but you mentioned someone else. Too. Netflix. Disney. Netflix, right? So Netflix in the news about potentially offering, you know, either a fully AVOD solution or maybe uh, an AVOD solution, but at a lower subscription price point. Here we are again. These are these folks are publishers. They just happen to publish video content versus print or or something else, and they are challenged with those same dynamics. They need to make money, and they need to balance how they're going to get that money. It's it's a, a competitive landscape that's heating up. 
You got everything from the full subscription models like an Amazon Prime, you know, maybe to uh, Tubi and others that are full ad supported models and then everything in between. It's an exciting race to watch. Right. And and we look to medical marketing and media to help us kind of uh, navigate these waters. Great question. Yeah, it'll be an interesting dynamic to see how it plays out going forward and obviously how that affects how marketers strategize and execute on those plans. I, I, I've i appreciated having you here on the podcast and getting to glean some of your insights for our audience. I kind of wanted to put a button on the conversation by going back to something you had mentioned earlier about maybe some of the more, I would say, under-resourced or uh, low-budget people in our audience that may be saying, like, these all sound like great ideas. I want to be able to pursue these, but, you know, I'm I'm strapped for cash. I want to be able to make sure I'm not out of line or out of compliance. If there were just any sort of uh, strategies or solutions that you would offer them or maybe a place to begin uh, on their journey, what would those be? Yeah, a great question, right? Not everybody is, is representing a billion-dollar hospital and health system or a blockbuster drug or, or things of that nature, right? So, Maybe our smaller marketing teams with smaller budgets. What are the what are some of the considerations? Probably only partially qualified to answer the question, Jack. But some of the thoughts that come to mind, right, is really taking a look at the assets you already have in house, right? And those assets are not only data, right? What is your what is your own first party data look like? Your whether that's your subscriber base, resources, right? Do you currently employ uh, people with talent? When I think of our own team here, when you kind of, when you ask some questions about where, what the jobs they're doing today, if you peel back the onion a little bit, you find out that they worked at pharma or they worked at an agency or they did an internship where they powered Facebook campaigns, right? So maybe look internally at your, at your own resources. So starting internal, what do I have where I don't have to outsource and, and, and how then can I maximize what I already have in place? You know, from there, we just mentioned it a few couple of minutes ago. If you're looking to get yourself into the digital space, uh, there are certainly social, uh, again, from a kind of a low point of entry. You can power your own campaign using your own first party data, I think, as a, as a very a low point of entry. And again, from a, from a talent uh, and employee perspective, these, pl- these platforms, you know, these, these solutions have really set up so, you know, fairly easy do-it-yourself uh, uh, solutions that you can be trained up on. So kind of that first, you know, first one being, you know, look at your own in-house assets. Second being look to social, uh, LinkedIn, again, Twitter, Facebook, certainly um, is a day-to-day. I, I, I've, always, I've always thought that when we think about channels, email is a must, Right. It can't be overlooked, the power of email. And again, what's your email strategy? Do you have your own uh, internal uh, expertise and can you leverage can you leverage external uh, expertise um, to kind of make sure that you're in that email game in an intelligent way? So whether that's working with a partner like an IQB or anybody else or even working with a consultant just to make sure you're setting yourself up correctly. Um, again, consultant, when I think of consultant, you're paying some fees, but but it still, you know, might get you might get you in the game um, without a heavy lift. I think from there, then you start to look into again in our world in the in more of the programmatic buying world. And I think there are a lot of I'll beg forgiveness from my from our partners and friends that are some of the bigger ones out there, some of the bigger self service or licensing platforms. But there's a lot of 
organizations that will engage and power programmatic in a managed service way that they are geared for the small, medium business, right? They don't require substantial upfront licensing. They, in many cases, again, they don't require you you as a marketer to have uh, in-house talent and they can really be your conduit to getting into these various games. Again, email, social, programmatic, but there's so many opportunities out there um, we had this conversation earlier today uh, in, a, in an internal conversation with, with some of our teammates. You know, one of the takeaways I always suggest, and I think this is fairly common, is like set aside for some money for a test budget, right? You know, set aside 10 or 15% when you're setting your annual goals, set aside 10 or 15% just to try new things. Whether you're trying that as a, maybe it's a piece of software you need in-house or it's a resource like a human resource or Again, set it up for maybe you do need a consultant or working with a partner. Just set some of those dollars up to just always be innovating, always be testing and monitoring and researching new opportunities to connect with your target audience, regardless of who that audience is. So what do you think, Jack? Was that answer uh, was that answer acceptable for your listeners? I think it was. And I think it's also great to hear you again, kind of taking something that may be presented as an obstacle or something in the way for some of these organizations and people in our audience and being able to reframe it as something of an opportunity. I know that that definitely is the the glass half full sunny side of the street approach. So I'm sure that hopefully people in our audience are able to glean some some good insights from there. But no, that checked out for us. And I don't know that I have uh, any other questions to go over. I think this was a great conversation. Really appreciate you to be able to offer you know, everything that your organization is doing and your thoughts on where the industry is going and certainly how data is going to be driving us there. Jack, thank you. I really appreciated the opportunity as well. You know, let me, uh, if this wasn't audio, people would see my gray hair. I've been doing this for a while. And for many, many years, both in print, online, newsletters, things like that, I've looked to medical marketing and media as my go-to. In my briefcase years ago was the, you know, the pharmaceutical marketers directory as well, right? So mm-hmm. the PMD, it was like the it was like the phone book for our industry. You know, I always had to wonder whether I was going to carry around an extra 10 pounds in my bag. But so just thanks to you and the whole MMM team have always provided a great service for our industry. Oh, I appreciate that. And I'll be sure to pass that along. I'm, I, I don't know if those days of a large you know print publication are ever going to come back. But if they do, you'll be the first one on the list to get one. <laughs> Thanks. Excellent. Thank you so much.